Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. All right, our Sacred Scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 8, 1 through 8. In those days... When there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he, being Jesus, called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute, and they distributed them to the crowd. They had also a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full." We have been in a series that we're calling Church Is dot, 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 the ominous dot, dot, dot. And what is the church all about? And we've talked about the church being a story of abundance, the church being a story of liberation, the church being a story of healing. And today we're going to be talking about the church being a story of grace. And I've never actually explained why I use the image that I did. Some of you have probably looked at this and thought this doesn't seem to add up. He's showing an old, decrepit, falling apart church in the middle of a field, how is that symbolic of what the church is maybe supposed to be? And today, hopefully, I'm going to clarify that a little bit, because ultimately, as we've been reading in our book study with The Great Emergence by Phyllis Tickle, the church is meant to be this ever-evolving, growing thing. And sometimes, church doesn't do that. And when church doesn't do that, when the body of Christ doesn't become and continue the pattern of evolution and transformation and growth and become what it's supposed to be, that's what can happen. And so I love that image because in that image, I actually don't just see what's falling apart. I see what potentially could be. I think there's something beautiful about the heritage that we've been handed, the beautiful uh, stained glass windows, the beautiful churches that are in the shape of a cross, because before people could read, they needed to know where they were, and so they would walk in and see the shape of a cross on the floor of the building they were entering, and they could already start telling the story. 
So the architecture of church buildings tells a story of what we're there to worship and what is the main focus. And we have to continue to ask the question, where is our authority, where is our focus, and who are we becoming? I don't like cliche Christianity. What I mean by that is I don't like when Christianity just has cliche answers to all of life's problems. Like when God closes a door, God opens a window. Okay, I get that that may be a true sentiment, and in a Hallmark movie, it works really well when someone at the end of the movie comes up to the person that's gone through a really hard thing and just gets really personal and says, I know you've been through a lot, and I know that when you lost your job, it was the most devastating thing imaginable, and when that person got sick, you couldn't imagine ever turning it around, but then, don't you see what's come of it? That door was shut, but there was a window ajar, and you found your way through. And everyone starts weeping and crying, and it's beautiful. And then all of a sudden, the next Hallmark movie comes on, and it's the same story, just with a different group of characters. It's why it's on repeat almost all season for my family and I, because it's just a fun thing to have on in the background. Actually, it doesn't. We don't do that. Um, (laughs) Some people in my family might wish we had it on repeat all the time, but I'm like, no. We're going to just be watching Home Alone. So... Um, or Die Hard, right? Because it's a Christmas movie. Anyway, I don't like cliche Christianity for a few reasons. One, I don't always love cliches as true as they may be. I don't always love the cliches that we have. God works all things out for good. When you hear that in a time of grief, it is actually not helpful. Yes, God may have the ability through grace, through mercy, through perseverance, to turn any situation into a growth opportunity. That is true. But when you are in the depths of grief, hearing God works all things out for good, so it's okay, is not helpful. Cliché Christianity doesn't always work. And I think sometimes cliché Christianity results in a church that looks like that. And the reason why it ends up looking like that is because we don't allow for the struggle. When we just turn to a cliché, of God works all things out for good, or when God closes a door, God opens a window, we don't allow for the pain and the struggle to be real. And in order for growth, in order for life to happen, we have to be willing to struggle. And I think embedded in a story of grace is the struggle. Because grace is this unearned, favor or gift. It's this loving kindness that God offers us. It's unearned, and therefore we just have to see it and appreciate it and embrace it, and we can't earn it. We can't, we can't do enough for it. We can't tithe enough. We can't give enough. We can't serve enough. It just is, but part of the way that we realize it is because we're met by it in the hardest times of life. We're met by grace when life is the most difficult. I put the word charis up there because that's the Greek word for grace. It comes from that Greek word charis. And you might be familiar with it if you come from a tradition that instead of calling it the Lord's Supper or communion, you call it the Eucharist because Eucharist is a good grace. It's a good gift that is given. It's it's an unearned gift that God gives us to share and to partake in. And that is a signifier of what we are a part of. And it allows us to partake in something to say, I want to be a part of what is going on in here. I want to be a part of the renewal of all things. I want to be a part of heaven coming to earth. I want to be a part of justice and love and mercy being present. And that is a good 
good gift. In the Methodist tradition, we talk about gift on th- or grace on three levels. We talk about the idea of prevenient grace. Pervenient grace is that grace that we don't even recognize as happening. It's already present. It's the grace that I didn't even ask for. It's the grace that is just there. And all of us have this prevenient grace. God's grace is unending. God's love is unending. God's mercy is always present. The grace is just present to all of humanity. And I love that about the tradition that we're a part of because I love that grace just is. It's not a, well, when I pray this, or when I say that, or if this happens, or once I pass this class. No, grace is just present for you. You can't earn it. You can't do something to get it. It's just there. But then sometimes we come to a recognition of it. We come to the recognition that Christ is with us, and Christ has died for us and resurrected, and Christ is showing us this path towards wholeness and justice, and that when we come to that realization, when we come to that knowledge of that grace is true, then it becomes a justifying grace. It becomes this grace that we say, oh, I'm caught up in that. I'm in the flow of that. I'm, I want to get on board with that. I want to recognize it and move in that direction. I want to head on that trajectory as opposed to this other trajectory that I've been on. I want to go in this direction, and that's a justifying grace. That's a grace that says, I want to be a part of what is happening in this space or in this group. And so it's a way of justifying. It's a way of being caught up in what's happening. We recognize it and we get caught up in it. And then finally, the Methodist tradition talks about a sanctifying grace, the recognition that yes, grace is unearned. And yes, when we recognize it, we want to get caught up in it, but it's also going to be hard work to be a part of this. That sometimes it takes shedding some habits, shedding some ways of being in the world, shedding some trajectories that we're on for better ones, for healthier ones, for ones that bring justice and mercy as opposed to selfishness and greed. And so we have to do that sanctifying work. We have to, we have to get things right. We have to clean things up a little bit. Uh, the tradition that we're a part of often talks about being in the front porch, going through the door, and then getting inside the house. And sometimes when we get inside the house, it's a little messy kind of like the carpet was. And sometimes that sanctifying work is to say, you know what we need to do around here is get all the chairs out, call zero res, have them come in, do a clean, put all the chairs back because the choir's coming, right? And sometimes that's what the sanctifying works looks like, is that there are times in our life when we have to set some things aside, move things out of the way, create some space in order to look at our blind spots because we need to move things out of the way in order to see what we might not be able to see. And so we have to do that hard work. And the sanctifying work is the hard work because it means I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to put in the time. I'm willing to face the hard stuff and say, what comes next from this? The thing about this grace is that I don't think grace is just meant to be this concept, this doctrine of grace. I think sometimes in Christianity, we get caught up in agreeing with the right doctrines as if faith is all about what I agree to cognitively. And there's something powerful about that belief. There's something powerful about saying, these are the things that I believe, and I need to, I need to know what those things are. I need to be able to identify them. And that can be really healthy. But the idea of, of this faith is more than just what am I agreeing to and what I believe in, but it's what am I being transformed into? What is the evolution? What am I, how am I evolving as a human? How am I evolving as a spiritual being? Am I, a, am I more peaceful as I go along in this faith? Do I have more self-control 
as I mature and grow in this faith? Am I evolving into a kinder person? Am I a less anxious presence around people different from me? Or when I'm around people different from me, do I still have my dukes up and I'm ready to fight back? Am I able to listen to someone or am I always waiting to throw the haymaker when they're not looking? Am I able to be more joyful, even about the simplest things? Last night I was walking the dogs and I have this thing where I go out the back door of the garage and then I walk around and we go for a long walk and then we come back and in my backyard's wooded and there's a pond back there and it always kind of freaks me out a little bit when I go back there because it's so dark, but I have these two giant dogs, so I always feel a little bit more protected. And all of a sudden, the dogs perked up, which, of course, didn't make this guy who's already nervous feel a little more uncomfortable. And I was like, what are they perked up about? Like, this is kind of odd. Is there somebody back here? Like, is there a coyote that we need to watch out for? I'm not really worried about it because my dogs will eat the coyote. But what is going on? And then I looked really closely and I could make out these eyes, and it was the shape of a deer head. And I was like, I think there's a deer back here. And so I brought the dogs into the garage, and then I flipped on the little kind of bistro lights we have around our little fire pit. And sure enough, there was a buck sitting right next to the fire pit area, just staring, just staring. And I think in my younger years, I would have just been like, deer, and then walked away. But there was just something that just made me stop and just want to stare back at it for a while. Now, I'm not saying this is like spiritual maturity like, or anything. I'm just trying to slow down in life and appreciate the little things, appreciate these small moments that we can have where we can recognize that, man, I'm a part of a really beautiful creation. Like God made all of this to be, to be appreciated, to be cultivated, to, to show us the magnificence and the glory of what God is all about, to show us what love looks like. And having that buck just stare back at me, I was kind of like, it's okay, buddy. Just keep eating. You can lay back down and go to sleep. This is a safe place for you, hopefully. Um, <laughs> I don't know what my neighbor would say. Um, but the question is, are we a people that are becoming more and more like love? Are we becoming a people that's evolving and looking more like kindness? Are we a more patient people because our, our faith and, our, and our, 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 our grace is moving us in that direction? This story that Jesus tells in, in Mark chapter 8 kind of goes on. So the disciples, after they feed all the people and their seven leftover basketfuls, there's some Pharisees that come up to Jesus. And they're like, we want a sign that you're the one that we should be looking for, that we've been waiting for. And Jesus is like, like that's not what this is all about. I'm not going to give you a sign. Like, you don't need a sign. Like, if you can't pick up what's going on around here, then, like, then maybe it's, it's, I don't know why you're not joining this. Like, get on board. It's okay. it, just get on board. But the Pharisees are like, no, we want to be assured. We want to make sure that you're following all of our rules and all those things. And so the disciples, they, they get on a boat and they're with Jesus. And then they have this fun moment that I think is really funny. They say, now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread. <laughs> okay. Feeding 4,000 people, probably just men, but there were probably women and children. So we're probably looking at more like 10,000 people that were actually fed. And so we're feeding thousands of people and there's seven basketfuls left over. And then the disciples make it onto the boat with zero pieces of the bread. Okay, these disciples just continue to trip over themselves. So now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread and they had only one loaf with them. In the, okay, I'm sorry, they had one loaf. Um, and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, is it because we have no bread? 
And becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. Then he said to them, do you not yet understand? When I read this, I was like, I don't think I understand. Like, this doesn't seem as obvious as you think it does, Jesus. But then when we kind of like sit in it for a second and we remember how many tribes in Israel were there? Twelve. How many disciples are there? Twelve. Maybe Jesus is saying, this is a story of abundance. There's enough for all of us. There's enough left over for you to be fed, to take some home. You each have a little goodie bag to go home with. Like, there's enough. This is a story of abundance. We can do this. It's a story of liberation because these 12 tribes left slavery, made it through the wilderness and into the promised land and got settled and built a kingdom. This is a story of liberation. And it's also a story of healing because how many times did Naaman have to wash himself in the Jordan River? Seven. How many times did Joshua march around the city of Jericho? Seven. How many days were there in creation when it was complete and whole and beautiful and God was able to rest? Seven. So we have a story of abundance, a story of liberation. We have a story of healing. And we have a story of grace. Because in this moment, Jesus is saying to the people, there's enough. You can be whole you can continue growing towards wholeness. Grace will meet you in that. So here's the question for all of us. What's your story? What's your story? I've been thinking a lot since last week when I was like, how do, what do we tell people? What do we tell people about the faith? What do, we tell, what do we tell our neighbors? What do we tell people that we want to be a part of this community? What do we tell people that we think could need a little good church community on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday evening or another day or another night, or they need to join a wonderful choir. Like, what do we tell people the story? What's, what is it that we tell them? And the more I kept coming back to is we got to be able to tell better stories. So what's yours? What's your story of abundance? What's your story of liberation? What's your story of healing? What's your story of grace? I don't expect you to raise your hand and start answering, but let me tell you a little bit about my mine really quickly. I wrote this down when we were in the midst of adopting our oldest son. Sometimes the dreams of those we love become the hopes of our own tomorrows. My wife had this dream of starting a family through adoption. When she was about 16 years old, it just became like her mission, her goal was to adopt. And we started dating and we got engaged and then we got married and We were married for a number of years, about four or five years. And then we were like, you know, we're talking about like building a family and what that would look like. And I didn't grow up with adoption as a part of my family story. I knew only a handful of people that had been adopted that were in like, you know, some friends of mine, but I didn't really know their story very well. And so Michelle started talking about adoption and I was like, well, I mean, the Steffenhagen men just kind of, you know, birth shortstops and pitchers and second baseman. That's kind of what I anticipated doing. You know, my dad played middle infield. I played middle infield and pitched. My brothers did the same. And so I just kind of had this dream of like, my family line will play middle infield, you know, and like, 
And uh, that's just kind of what I thought it was going to be. And then Michelle was like, you know, I've always had this dream of adopting. And I was like, okay. And then I, I just didn't bring it up for about six months. And then she brought it up again. And then she brought it up again and again. And I was like, man, she's really not letting go of this thing. I kind of thought if I just didn't talk about it, it would go away. Um, but she kept talking about it. And then I started to pray and explore. I met with this other dad who had adopted and heard his story. Um, and suddenly her dream became something that I started to hope for. And we moved into the process. Like one night we were sitting in our little apartment down in Tennessee and we were talking about it again. And I was like, okay, let's just do it. And she goes, seriously, you're on board now? And I was like, yes, I've been praying. Jesus opened a window. Uh, full circle, people. And she goes to me and she says, all right, let's do it. And I'm like, what do you mean do it? She goes, I already have the website opened up. And so we start filling this thing out, right? All the questionnaire. And it's like, you got to get these witnesses to go and that would be willing to write a letter for you. And she goes, let's go find, uh, you know, uh, Devin and Tony. And I'm like, okay. And so we called them up and like, they're like, woohoo, you're finally on board. And I'm like, what? And then we like drive to their house and they like, okay, they get all the sign, they sign the stuff. And then she's like, let's call Mike and Angela. And you know, cause we have to get like two other, like two different groups of people. So we call Mike and Angela and they're like, well, we're at a baseball game across town. And Michelle's like, we'll be there in 10 minutes. And, and so we drive to this little league baseball game and we're sitting in the stands and they're filling out paperwork. And I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. And my wife's like, this is the best moment ever. And so here we are starting this journey towards adoption. And what, and the reason why I tell you that is not just because it's a fun story or my wife's impulsive or not really impulsive. She's been planning it for years. Um, I guess I'm the impulsive one. I don't know. I don't know. But the reason I tell you this is because there has been nothing more transforming, nothing more liberating, nothing more grounding, nothing more evolving, nothing more full of grace than being a part of that kid's life. That kid is Christ to me. He shows me what love looks like. He shows me what hard work looks like. He shows me what perseverance looks like. He shows me what kindness looks like. He shows me what grace can be. It's not always perfect. And man, do I get frustrated with him. But also at the end of the day, when he says, dad, can you come tuck me in? And he's 13. I'm like, oh man, love doesn't get any better than this. And I don't hug him. I jump on him and I throw the people's elbow and I just, I just go after it. And, and then he starts giggling and laughing and, and it's another moment of joy and grace all over again. And I love it. And that's a part of my story. And that's a part of when I would say to people, why should you be a part of this thing? I would say it's because we talk about this stuff because this is what we want for people is to experience these relationships and these moments where they're so full of love and kindness and patience and that it can actually get better in your family. It can get better in your relationships and in your life because you're met by the Spirit. You're met by a Christ who says, I'm not giving up on you ever. You will continue to grow. You will continue to transform. You will continue to evolve. You will become and you are becoming the person that God has made you to be. So let's tell those stories. Let's let people know that that's what this place is because this is a place that is not done. It is not getting old. It's not falling apart. We've cleaned the carpet. We've got a new parking lot. We got a wonderful choir that uses this space. But more than that, we have good stories to tell. So let's tell those stories because church is a story of grace. Let me pray.
Gracious God, the God who just meets us with love and compassion, thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for loving us even when we didn't know you loved us. Thank you for loving us even when we tried to run from that love. Thank you for loving us when we wanted nothing to do with love. Thank you for loving us when we recognized that it was present. And thank you for loving us as we try to clean up the house. Thank you for grace and love being present. Help us to be examples of that grace. Help us to do the hard work. Not look for cliches or easy answers. Help us to do the hard work of transformation. Help us to partner with the Spirit that is constantly, constantly moving us towards grace. In the name of Christ we pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.